All right. Welcome, welcome to Open Relationships. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. I'm joined by my amazing colleagues, Jonas Koffler, Joanna Schroeder, and Brian Atkins, our producer. So let's just uh, spend a, a few seconds up front here talking about our show's mission, since we're still brand new. Our goal is to help people truly open up to one another, but critically to themselves and being able to look at those hard truths about ourselves. Most of us have a tough time managing conflict or others' perspectives when they differ from our own. So many of us believe we have the objective truth. Not only believe, we are sure we have the objective truth. And so this idea of the show is in part to be to help people understand that um, that other isn't a threat or an enemy, but that by be- being a lot more comfortable with other and and things that are different is our path to intimacy, um, to feeling a lot closer, right? And rather than the heartache and separation that so many of us feel, it is uh, learning how to be more open. And so the goal is to see each other's differences, but critically learn to face our own hard truths and those things that, you know, even uh, as I like to say, sometimes we're lying to ourselves and it's hard to understand or see that. So where we're being defensive, petty, uh, judgmental, afraid, uh, closed, where we have our blind spots, that's the goal of the show, is to help each of our listeners go, oh, yeah, maybe that's what I'm doing, right? And wherever that conflict might lie, a a political difference or a difference with your uh, partner in terms of raising kids, wherever there's that difference and we're feeling like that person is so wrong and maybe really stupid, too where we said, mm, not so fast. We want to open up our hearts and minds so that we can transform together. So we have a great show coming up. Thanks so much for tuning in and let's kick off. We've got some amazing guests today. Holy smokes. We've got Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. But before we go there, I am eager to to do a little beta test of something I'm calling keeping it real right here in open relationships. We're really trying to get in and uh, showcase what we're talking about and and advocating and for and espousing and so forth. So the goal here is to share our wins and fails with friends, spouses, kids, etc., where we've had that experience where we've either crushed it like, oh, my God, I did it differently. Woo! Or, oh, shit, I fucked it up again. <laughs> Sounds like me. Um, I've got one. Oh, you got one? Okay, yeah. Joanna, you kick us off. I So I love TikTok. We use it for work at Your Tango because we want to know what people are thinking and feeling. And so we scroll it. We come, come up with ideas. And as we talk to the people who are making the videos, well, I had been seeing a lot of relationship TikToks that I felt like reflected some mistakes that my husband and I were making. And I didn't realize that I was flooding him with really negative relationship commentary by sending him um, like three or four TikToks a day that in my mind, ooh. I was thinking, oh, these are really helpful because they're identifying a problem we have. And he was receiving them like, oh, another problem we have. Oh, great. Okay. And to the point where I was sending him TikToks of like cute things like puppies and whatever funny things. And he wasn't opening them because mm. he started to have this negative association with them. 
And I was like, well, you were because you were telling him he was wrong, right? You're yeah. saying essentially he was taking it as here's another problem we have, or here's another thing you do. Mm-hmm. Even if even if what I might have typed along with it was, oh, I totally do this. I need to stop doing this. It yeah, felt like oh, more problems. And it was like week, yeah. weeks of me doing this, being like, oh my gosh, TikTok's so helpful. <laughs> And then all of a sudden being like, and he hates it and he never wants to see the words TikTok.com again. I guess to him, you're like dwelling on it instead yeah. of like not thinking about it. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And and yeah, exactly. And I probably wasn't contextualizing them enough, you know, because like, like we, yeah. like we say, it's, you assume everyone's going to feel about it, how you feel about it, but someone else might listen to it and be like, Oh, I see what this is. This is how you're telling me I do such and such wrong when it wasn't at all. Yeah. No, there's like um, uh, ADHD memes is like a, a subreddit and people will make jokes about their ADHD or whatever. And um, some of them are really, really funny. And one of them recently was like, um, you know, people with ADHD, I guess, have a higher sense of like uh, the need for justice, you know? And um, so, uh, yeah, so. Uh, I, I saw that and was like, oh, my God, because uh, especially because it was like, uh, if you have ADHD friends, they're not OK right now. <laughs> and um, uh, so I like jokingly like sent that to my fiance and she is like, don't dwell on this. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'm like, crap, I thought it was funny, but you're right. I'm totally like absorbing that. Yeah. Now, but hang on. Are you are you do you have ADHD or does she or both? So I I don't. Uh, I, I won't say that I do because okay. uh, I'm not diagnosed, but it mm-hmm. is one of those things where uh, I had one of those dads that uh, was like, my kid's not going to be on medication, um, you know, so uh, there was mm-hmm. a lot of early warning signs for it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was just told to, you know, man up and deal with it. No, um, and I mean, like he was the type too, like when I was a baby and I had like a pacifier, you know, he like threw it out the window because he was like no you need to learn how to do it without any help oh. you know or whatever so oh, wow. it's just like i, I kind of grew up with that like old school mentality where mm-hmm. as i've gotten older i've been like oh, i'm probably pretty undiagnosed with this like the, mm-hmm. the warning signs have been there but like um i i don't know it is one of those things where i go like hmm you know should i go get a diagnosis but then i'm also mm-hmm. like afraid of what the diagnosis might be oh. you know <laughs> All right, so this sounds like a whole other show for us. <laughs> sharing. I mean, for real. I and I think that I mean that speaks to I think a lot of us. Both, you know, certainly I I'm a parent of a teenage boy and a ten year old boy, right? And it's like, how common is this? Like, you know, is it a diagnosis that is you know just more prevalent? Right? I feel like there are a lot of questions that come up with um, along these lines. Gabor Mate maintains that 70% of our population is on some kind of uh, uh, chemical um, antidepressant or uh, treatment for a variety of disorders. So it's, you know, it's usually prevalent, right? Um, I was thinking about something else, Andrea, in terms of um, the ticking hands of time, the TikTok of real life, we can say. How's that? Uh, uh-huh. And uh, I got news earlier today, some somber news, that a family friend had passed away. Hmm. And I started thinking about mortality and I started thinking about longevity and how relationships are intricately linked to our health and well-being and our longevity, right? As Wallinger's study, many others have documented. And I thought about relationships and, you know, what I've been observing of myself of late and uh, the power of the relationship with the self, with myself for that matter, 
and focusing on things like self-acceptance and broadening and heightening my self-awareness and self-care for that matter. And then translating that into my relationship with my daughter. And that culminated in this indelible experience of being able to play uh, soccer with her. Now, she's only four years old, but truly being present and absorbing every Mm -hmm. split second of millisecond of that experience and uh, ensuring that it was just the most amazing shared journey that we could have together and having that time capsule. It's like the movie Inside Out where those those wonderful illuminating yeah. fill up your mind and, and percolate into your heart. And so for me, it was slowing down at the same time, really kind of sucking the marrow out of life to enjoy the richness of the limited time that we have here and how that played out with my daughter mm-hmm. was a, a wonderful win for me. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me. I feel like, I mean, I'm 52. So, you know, having lost people along the way and, you know, the hurt and the heartache that inevitably occurs in, you know, in the lives of the people that I love, right? It's always that profound wake up call to go, whew, you know, especially as moms and dads, ambitious moms and dads like we are to go, gosh, you know, let's, um, let's not squander this, right? They're only little boo-boos for so long. You know, I have, it's, uh, you know, graduation time. I feel like I'm chatting with a lot of parents and they're like, oh my God, I'm hearing cats in the cradle and wah, you know, like it's, and my kid's only 13 and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm already getting a little nervous about what's going to happen in five years as uh, he goes off. And then I got a little one still like, so I'm like eight years before I'm empty nester and I'm, I'm already feeling it. It, it should be illegal to play that song. That song <laughs> is too sad. It is, is way fair. too sad. All right, new uh, DJs, we want to put you on notice. No more <laughs> cats in the cradle. All right, we've got some amazing guests today. We've got Harvel Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. I'll be talking about their incredible background momentarily, but just to give a little bit of context, they have developed the Imago Dialogue, and they are, and we're going to be talking about the steps of the Imago Dialogue. Before we speak with Harvel and Helen, they've been... Uh, these pioneers in love and relationships and creating safe conversations and have been training uh, and influencing some of the foremost experts and even rock stars in, um, in the world. I mean, speaking of, of them being pioneers, I, when I was pulling up information on them earlier uh, for research for the show, I mean, I saw that they've been consistently publishing books since 1988 it's, I mean, yeah. their most recent ones even 20s. Like they're they're constantly on the forefront for the last yeah. 40 years. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely OGs. So uh, so we're super excited to have them as guests and uh, stay tuned for lots of great insights from Harvel and Helen. Uh, real quick, we have our our guest in the lobby. Should we welcome onto the show? Yes. Yeah. I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to welcome our guests, Harville Hendricks, Ph.D., and Helen LaKelly Hunt, Ph.D. They are the OGs in love and relationships, like the OGs, right? And so I'm just going to take, oh, about 15 minutes to read about their backgrounds that are very illustrious. I promise, not 15. But, uh, but just stay tuned in here because you'll understand why they are genuinely the OGs. Harville and Helen are internationally renowned couples therapists, educators, speakers, and New York Times bestselling authors. Between the two of them, they have written over 10 books, 
with more than 4 million copies sold, including the timeless classic, Getting the Love You Want, A Guide for Couples. But that's not it. Like, I'm going to keep going. There's so much more here, guys. Harville and Helen co-created Imago Relationship Theory, uh, Therapy excuse me, to promote the transformations of couples and families. And from that, co-founded Imago Relationships International, a nonprofit that has trained over 2,000 therapists and educators in 51 countries. Most recently, they've started a very, very ambitious initiative called Safe Conversations. That's a dialogue process to help people experience safety in all the conversations in service of creating a more relational world and helping people build healthy relationships, which we sorely need right now. We're going to come back to that. Harville is an all-time Oprah favorite. He has appeared on the Oprah show, get this, 17 times. I, I You're like, uh, uh, I'm like the New York, like uh, Saturday Night Live, like was it um, Tom Hanks, right? You're like the, 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 the prize favorite of the Oprah show, uh, Harville. Congrats for that. And then finally, on a very personal note, Harville and Helen have been wonderful friends to me and my husband, Sanjay. They've been great supporters of our business, Tango, your Tango. And um, they were there with us from the very beginning, about 20 years ago. So I'm profoundly grateful to you guys for being on our show. And we have a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. Um, let's just start with maybe that proverbial softball. Why relationships? What led you to pursue this kind of healing work? I'm going to jump in. Okay. I love the fact that um, that we're born, and everyone in the world is born in relationship. We're wounded in mm -hmm. relationship, and we can only be healed in relationship. So basically, people look at people, but they don't study relationships. And that's what this guy was talking about when I met him. And so, but to respond to how we got into this topic is that we were both divorced, i.e. we had relational failures. And we met um, at a party that neither one of us wanted to go to and uh, began a conversation. And the conversation was, how come we are divorced? Who would want to divorce Helen? She is a magnificent, world-class beautiful woman and I'm not too bad looking um, and we we got into that conversation which was about why are we divorced which led to the question why is anybody divorced which led to the question what is conflict and why do couples fight that led to the question why does anybody fight and that led to the development of an intellectual system that had to do fundamentally with relationship conflict. Well, and, and so when Harville was trying to figure out why would someone divorce him, he was thinking about it, and um, he suddenly called a group of people together at a um, in a garage uh, at a house of worship where people can come to the... Uh, sanctuary of a house of worship on Sunday, but the, on a Saturday, 
they have speakers go into a garage and they have wrought iron chairs and you, a speaker will speak. And I was on the, I went uh, and I was on the front row. He was in front of a chalkboard. He went, all of us want when we're an adult to find the perfect partner and we'd like to get married. And we met the person. Wow. We get married. Mm -hmm. Romantic attraction. So on the chalkboard, he put romantic attraction and underlined it. Stage one. What did that mean? So then he put, then he drew a line. And the second, he wrote power struggle. Now, everyone in romantic attraction ends up in the power struggle. <laughs> So they can either live their entire marriage um, uh, in conflict, arguing, uh, or just having relationships with their family, but not with each other, uh, or sadly, many of them divorce. Now, power struggle, people need to learn stage three, real love. There, if you learn a few things in stage two, everyone can get to stage three. So I heard him giving this talk, and I began to follow him around, and I was divorced, and so we met at this party. You were speaking about it, but I said, uh, Harvard, and more and more people were enjoying him giving this talk, and I said, what's your dream? He said, well, I want to write a book about my theory. So we lived in Dallas, and I didn't think there was a publisher good enough here. So I said, if you marry me, let's move to New York and we'll get the book written. I'll find an agent of a really big publisher. And Wow. We, I never knew this. This is so cool. Work, and uh, I hired an agent and she found the publisher and the and then I was a good dialogue partner. I had gotten a master in counseling psych. So while the structure uh -huh. of it all is horrible, I could track it because I, too, had a degree in psychology. And um, I had done some primal therapy, which is the, mm -hmm. the, the issues of your childhood that are within uh -huh. you. I, I had become a, someone who worked with a primal therapist um, under, under my counseling degree. And um, mm -hmm. so I proposed, and a couple years later, the book came. Wait, you proposed? You proposed? You proposed what? My first husband talked me into marrying him, and I didn't want to. And oh. um, everyone around me said, "Oh!" And he was um, uh, he was at um, he he, I, I'm from a, a family-owned business. He basically wanted to work in the family-owned business, and he, oh. Then he okay, and he did, and everyone said, "Oh, you should marry him." And uh, I married him, but I, he wasn't a thought partner at all. And he he did something illegal at the company, and he had to leave oh. the United States. It was oh, that horrible. The Helen, this is not where I thought this conversation was going to go. We're talking, you know, like uh, reprobates and you know, rogue rogue exes. Yeah, <laughs> I I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I can share more detail because yeah. actually it was sort of famous yeah. in Dallas at the time. But um, oh wow, I was going to pick the next guy. I married. I was. Oh uh, I was. Uh, my mother was born, and I, I, my mother, 
it lived in in the era of the subordinate wife. You should be the subordinate wife. Oh, sure. Well, uh-huh. I my my adult career isn't about subordinating to to men. Oh, that when, no, no kidding. But then the real shift. I mean, that this is an example of how humanity changes over time. The subordinate mm-hmm. wife. No one who would do that now. We have a process that when it gets out into the world, the whole world needs this. And we think Carl's vision that if we could get safe conversations into the world, we could create a whole new global humanity. Yeah. But I, I totally agree. And I wanna I wanna come back to that because I, I feel like, you know, it may feel good to be superior, but that superior dominant relationship is so unhealthy, right? And, you know, what we talk about in in our show and open relationships, how important it is for all of us to do our own work. And and if you're not held to account as a partner, as a mom, as a sister, as a friend, if it's dominant subordinate, you never have the chance or most people don't take the chance to really look at those hard truths inside of themselves. Right. And, And we'll we'll come back to that. But I. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it would just be so much easier if I, you know, if I could just, you know, have my way all the time. But even coming back to your point about, you know, we're born in relationship and there, you know, that's the root of of so much, if not almost all suffering and trauma. (laughs) And it's the way out of it. So I just I love that you're setting us up perfectly because I don't think people appreciate. I always say great relationships are not a nice to have. They are a need to have. And so few people really understand what it takes, both in terms of how much time it takes, the intention, being open, right? So that's why I love the work that you guys are doing and the attention that you're bringing to it and the fact that you've been educating. I mean, Sanjay and I, thats I feel like that's when we got really close to you guys was when we did, gosh, like 15 years ago in New York, we did one of your amazing workshops. Yeah, and it doesn't take um, long to learn it, but you have to learn totally and it's and it's uh, you feel better and so it's a process that as you said it can be learned on a weekend or a day so harville and helen write content for us for your tango and we we had an article of theirs and i i asked them to add an example of how people could practice a safer conversation with their partner in their article and Harville went through and added this wonderful dialogue. And once I read that, I showed my husband and we tried it. And I realized, okay, this is easy to do, but it's almost like a muscle memory, something that needs to be developed over time and practiced. It's if- a practice, right? Right. It ends up genuinely being a practice because you can get it in your head, but unless you do it, it's a nice theory, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So we think about it as a skill. Uh skill that you have to practice and it's as concrete as uh, the example i like to use is tennis uh, i don't know why i mm-hmm. play tennis but uh, maybe golf is the same thing i do play a little golf well that that's a good one the last time i went to golf had been a year since i'd held a club so i just walked up to the golf ball and hit the ground instead of the ball so mm-hmm. a skill that you have to practice over and over in in tennis, um, well, in both of them, you know, you have to. I remember the uh, my brother who was 
coaching me, but he was no better player than I was, but he remembered the rules better. <laughs> said, remember that you need to keep your eye on the ball when you swing the club. And I found if I did that, I hit the ball. If I didn't do that, I hit the ground. And it's like that. You have to actually follow. It's a physics. You have to follow the rules or you don't develop the muscle training that makes it possible to eventually play golf without hitting the ground all the time or even having to think. So Well, you have to, yeah, it's being very intentional, right? Like you really have to concentrate on it. Well, and and we imagine, given our experience over about uh, 40 years now doing this workshop and working with couples, that couples need to put probably it will take six months to two years for couples to really integrate it into their relationship as a new way to talk. It's not just something to do mm-hmm. when you have a problem and you need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, if you change the way you talk, you won't have those problems because most problems have to do with talking and talking in a way yeah. that polarizes or criticizes the other person. So we, we basically have now sort of narrowed our uh, focus to, Helen calls it, that, that I know how to make things simple. And the simple is this, talking, mm-hmm. is, our, talking is the most dangerous thing people do. Wait, what? Say that again. Talking is the most dangerous thing most people do. And now the second sentence is listening is the most infrequent thing people do. And when you consider that talking is dangerous because usually people talk, we call it a monological position. You were talking before about dominance. That this, yeah. I, I call this the, the vertical position. I'm up here talking to you, but you're down here. Yeah. So you need yeah. to listen and, and believe what I say or do what I say. And mm-hmm. it makes you unequal to me. Mm-hmm. I de- just by the structure. When I'm, I'm monologuing, I'm assuming that you don't know it and you need to learn it from me. And that's a, a huge put down. But it's been the way talking has been going on for hundreds of thousands of years, the monological talking. So we, right. what, what we are, have marketed now about 40 years ago is what we call dialogue which is mm-hmm. dialogical talking is lateral, not vertical. And in fact, I've come to believe, and I was I actually sent something to, to you uh, either night or two ago, Helen. I've come to believe that this, ver- what I call the vertical or verticality, is the human problem. And uh-huh. that's been the human problem for thousands of years. And that it slowly changed. It changed in the um, in the um, uh, the revolutions of the 15th century, which moved from monarchy to democracy. So changed a mm-hmm. little, and um, but not all the way because there was their freedom, but not equality. But uh, but talking and Helen gives a piece of this lecture. She says yes, but then uh, the the, mon- the monarchy may have been destroyed. But people still did monologue. Parallel. That is, they went to parallel, parallel monologue uh-huh. instead of dialogue. And nobody, still nobody's listening. But just what you have to have is a sender and a receiver, and they are equal. Yeah. And when they're equal, they take turns. And they take turns. And then that's what creates safety. That's what makes 
talking safe is that one talks and the other one listens. And then that person talks and the other person listens. And they listen and talk without criticism or judgment. It's just exchanging. Mm-hmm. And it, it, is a, it is a skill. It's also a science because we now have data. We're not brain scientists, but we are avid consumers of the research of the of brain science yeah that when you in fact Harvard University has done some research on conversation and they uh-huh. put people under in an FR, fMRI machine and discovered uh-huh. that the uh, conversation actually does change the um, the center of focus in the brain from the defensives uh, uh, scared part of the brain to the pleasure center in the brain. That, in other words, talking in a certain way changes the processes in the brain. And mm-hmm. there's, again, an lecture Helen deals about neuroplasticity. If you talk in that mm-hmm. new way over and over and over again, you'll develop a new neural network, which means yeah. that now it's just like tennis. You develop a new neural network then that new way of talking becomes spontaneous. Although it's structured at the beginning, it becomes spontaneous. And now you have a new way of being in relationship all the time, not just when you have a problem, but whenever you talk. Yeah. What I was thinking about with this was how when you practice these types of safer systems, I love that you were saying we get out of the defensive and into something that can be pleasurable, and that sounds healing, that you also over time may be able to reframe how you see your partner. If it's a romantic partner or your child or whoever, once you stop monologuing and you start to understand what they meant to say, not what you think they're saying, over time, I feel like your brain becomes more receptive to the fact that that person might have my best interests at heart or that person might not be trying to harm me. And without that safer setup, you, you may never learn that. You may never be able to default to giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's how it's felt to me, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to chime in and say, when I think about communication, right, a lot of people will say, including my husband, we have communication issues. And at times I feel like, oh, that can be really tricky because it's like, and yes, Harvel, I'm, I'm with you. We should all be listening more, right? But I feel like, you know, when people say, well, one of the biggest problems is communication, I feel like that's a mechanical thing. And so I kind of want to, you know, kill the myth over here because I feel like it's really coming from like what you're describing, that that place of openness. And, you know, you you said without criticism and judgment. Right. And, you know, let's just dive into the whole business of safe conversations, Mm -hmm. because I don't think it's a communication problem. I feel like it's something else so yeah like so let's let's go there because i like i want to disavow this myth of hey we've got a communication problem it's like we have a perspective problem or we're defensive or you know something else is happening and so it's not the communication so help help people understand this better and it really is important to learn the things in stage two um that then can move someone into the stage of real love and some of the uh-huh. um everyone has a childhood challenge or something that in growing up um, they they didn't like and and they wished had been better 
And in romantic attraction, you're drawn to a person, according to the theory, who has a childhood challenge that is different from your childhood challenge. And the two people uh-huh. need to learn to have empathy for each other. And so that's part of, there's a three-step process of dialogue. There's a sender and a receiver where the two of them take turns making a statement. One person makes a statement and the other mirrors, says, let me see if I got it right. Well, usually they didn't. So you say, did I get it right? By the way, I, when I, I've been amazed to see sitting there, well-intentioned people at your workshops the guy says, blah, blah, blah. And the woman says, and, you know, or vice versa, it doesn't matter, male to male, woman to woman, doesn't matter. And then the woman goes, or the, the receiver says, did I get it right? How many times they'll go back and forth? And you're just sitting there going, wait, you're not listening. But it's like there's that emotional barrier that's causing people, that, that receiver to genuinely, even if they're trying hard to genuinely not get it. So I, I think what you guys have developed is genius. And I think people, you know, folks, maybe we can append a, a link to this in the show notes. Because if you watch, you will see how how challenging this can be. Right. And then if you do it, you're like, I just said it. But you got to be patient because then you maybe need to say it again in a different way. Right. And I feel like that's so foundational to your your instruction. It's like really really being open, right? That's back to the safe conversation. Not like, hey, dummy, <laughs> no, you didn't get it right. Please try again, right? But that that's important. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just had to make that point because it's not, it is not trivial. This is not trivial. No. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. A short sentence and then Harville will probably want to have a much longer. But one of the things I appreciated um hanging around Harvel, who became my husband, he said, we have a problem, and the problem is the value system of the culture. Everyone is taught from the time they're young, we want you to be the best. In grade school, uh, middle school, upper school, you know, get the, get the best book report, get A's at school, and then if you get enough... Um, good grades, uh, by the time you go to high school, maybe you could get to a college. And then if you get a college and then you get a degree, uh, you got a, if it's a doctor's degree or an architect degree or whatever, and you're just focused on doing it in the best way because you want your, your, what your, your, uh, you want, you wanted to create the best podcast and the most interesting topic. So y'all are, it's about me being the best without being the best is bad but it shouldn't be the only value system <laughs> you if it's being the best it's like well if i have a thought it's the best thought right because i'm usually the best and 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 no one is taught we think the value system of the culture should teach people how to have relationships not when they have a crisis in their marriage and they need to see a therapist. We think safe conversations exist now for kids, for high school students to learn. And 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 
when they learn it, they have a healthier brain and they feel better. No. Right. I was just gonna, going to add quickly, it's amazing uh, and so refreshing to hear you say that because it's worth asking the question in terms of our education system, why aren't we taught this skill set, this practice as children, right? If we're to evolve as a culture, as a society, as a world, as a planet. We were doing a public workshop once and a woman called, we never met her in person, but she um, said, uh, I heard your lecture about relationship. I'm the head of a psychiatry department. And it was in another city, another state. <laughs> and she said, uh, our psychiatry department, when someone is suicidal and they've attempted suicide um, or they're, yeah. they're so anxious they can't sleep, they, are, uh, they, are, they check into our psychiatry department to try to, what can we do? So we medicate them, we, we isolate them from their family, and, and we medicate them and give them all sorts of uh, things, uh, maybe just have quiet, not have to deal with their family. And she said, I think that, I think what they need is to meet with their family and resolve their problems. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I actually drew up a little piece of paper um, that she said, for the first time in the history of the world, you have created a, a teachable process on how to have a relationship. And as you, as you know, maybe, Andrea, the theme of it is a mm -hmm. dialogue. Well, this mm -hmm. psychiatrist called us in 2018, and, and, but then, then I, I put together this chart that the other person that taught dialogue was Socrates in 300. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, and guess what happened? The win. Socrates created dialogue, Socratic dialogue. Ah, it makes sense. The Socratic method, right? Asking questions. Boom. Yes. Well, Woo! But the head of the Greek government didn't like it, and they put him to death. Remember? That he was destroyed. Yeah, totally. Greece. So, so this is where once he died, we've had pharaohs that a god told pharaohs how to run a country. And so the pharaohs, uh -huh. a lot of slaves. And then we've had monarchs or kings or whatever. There were serfs, but the point was to obey the head of the country. Well, the French didn't like that. So the French had a revolution. And mm -hmm. one was equal. And then the United States had an American. They didn't want the King of England to control mm -hmm. people who went to the New World. Mm -hmm. So there was the American Revolution. Well, once, actually, if people haven't noticed, in the United States, um, our, our two, four political parties don't agree every day at the end of the day. <laughs> the opposite. That's an understatement. Mm hmm and we, this is why dialogue needs to be taught at school and yeah. where. Yeah. Well, I, but I think what's so important, back to the point you guys were making a few minutes ago, this whole business of the vertical and how hierarchical it is, and something I wanted to chime in on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself here. At times, I've got the two greatest kids in the world. Sorry to all the other parents, but mine are the best. <laughs> Just kidding. They're, I mean, but you know what I'm saying. Like, very proud mama, great boys. 
And at times I'll find myself, I'm not deliberately speaking down to them, right? They're, they're wonderful kids, but there is that, that superiority, inferiority balance. Now, a lot of parents are going to say, well, of course, you're the mom and you got to tell them what to do. But what, what I've observed is when I'm, when I'm more mindful that we're, that, that they're not inferior to me, you know, that, that I want to, what you're describing is be that equal sender and receiver, right? When I change my energy, right? And that, and it's subtle, but it is amazing how much more responsive they are. Oh, by the way, it also works with husbands, <laughs> right? But it, so it, that's what I was saying a little while ago. It's not, it's like not the communication. It's not the words, right? It's that intention of, I want, I actually want to, maybe that's what it's like. I want to hear you. And I love that. I feel like with your dialogue process, did I get that right? Is there more, right? I feel like what's really implicit in what you guys are teaching people, like you're creating that mechanical process and, you know, and obviously really underscoring this whole business of how important it is to have that safety. Because if you're like, is there more? Like, are you done already? Like, that's not going to be effective. Then you're like, nope. And then, you know, your arms are crossed and you're, you're ready to go. But I just, I, I really wanted to underscore that. Um, I mean, we're talking about all relationships here. We're talking parent and child, um, you know, both ways, you know, me talking to my parents, me talking to my kids, my husband, my friends, my, my colleagues, right. That I just feel like it is that just that mindset and heart set, if you will, of, I, and Harville, you said it, you know, this whole business of of listening, like I feel like we need to reframe the business of talking and really prioritize listening. And maybe even back to you said on um, the value system of the culture, doesn't our culture value? You're talking about the politicians, blah, 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 blah. Talk, 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 talk. Dominate, dominate, dominate. Right. So it feels like we really need to normalize and prioritize and value listening. And here I am like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself. I want to get across, and I'm trying to get this across now wherever we talk, that verticality, I think, is the human problem. In fact, it's probably a disease and that we're trying to cure. Um, and, and the only way to cure it, because this is all inequality, all verticality, mm -hmm. it's inequality. Inequality creates anxiety. Anxiety creates defenses. Defenses right. get impossible to relate and to interact. Yep. Well, we have to go yep. to the vertical, I mean, to the lateral, and, the, and to a new way of talking that Helen and I are calling dialogue. And in that new way of talking, to pick up now with the culture, uh, Helen often in a lecture says, um, you, you get re you, you have a part of your lecture. You get rewarded in our culture for talking, but nobody yep. rewards you for listening unless you're a therapist. Mm -hmm. We are the only profession that yeah. basically gets mm -hmm. paid to listen, and yeah. that it's and it's the, our clients tell us that it's the quality of our listening to them that heals mm -hmm. them, not the yeah. not our brilliance or anything that we do to them. It's the quality of the uh -huh. interaction between the client and the therapist. Well, you just move that over to Ellen. It's the quality of our interaction that that heals us or 
or keeps us safe, which is in fact becoming mm-hmm. safe, is essential to healing. So to do that, but I want to add something and, and get us a little bit off the hook about listening. Um, and that at one end, my, my, uh, my theological mentor back in graduate school was Paul Tillich, who was the public theologian. Oh, wow. And Wow, I never knew that. Oh, cool. He was my mentor, and I studied with him at Chicago. And what I didn't know until later when I was looking over his materials after he died and and uh, and not too long ago, and in one of his uh, public lectures, he said, listening is the first act of love. Mm-hmm. That's a nice, sweet comment, but it is a profound insight. Because yeah. love is seeing the other person for who they are. And you can't see them for who they are unless you listen to them when they are showing themselves to you as they talk. That is such a profound uh, reality. That's beautiful. What makes that profound for us is that love is love between people who see each other as they really are. Yeah. Most of us do not see our partners as our partners see themselves. We see them the way we need to see them for ourselves. I need to see right. that you see me. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my problem. That's not Helen's problem. I need to see Helen the way Helen sees herself and accept the way Helen sees herself. Then I'm getting Helen not my version of Helen. And if I love my version of Helen, I'm loving me. But if I love Helen's version of Helen, I'm loving Helen. In order to get Helen, I have to listen without criticizing and judgment. Now, here's my problem. This is new information for us. Um, Mm -hmm. I, um, I scour research all the time because I don't want to be caught out in the cold with something that's, you know, that the research field, especially in the area of relationships. And this mm-hmm. is, this is a stunning piece of information. The way our ears are designed, we distort 70% of the information that comes to our ears. The electromagnetic waves that bring messages to us, we can only receive accurately 30% of. So anytime you start listening, you're already at a 70% disadvantage. Now, add to that, that you're running in your mind at the same time, your own narrative about Mm -hmm. who this person is I'm talking to. Why are they saying that to me? What are they going to say to me? Mm -hmm. You're running a narrative that's interfering at another level with listening. Mm -hmm. I can't get Helen if I'm wondering what she's going to say to me. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time getting her, even when I, on a good day, when I'm not disturbed or running my message, because my ears are not developed enough to receive everything she's saying. So, and I'll yeah. say a few minutes why I think that's the case with the ear. But I have to be, a, this is why we built into the dialogue system, did I get you? Over yeah. over again. So that you, what you saw mm-hmm. when people said, 
could I get you? They would say, well, not quite. That's not quite what I said. Mm -hmm. So we teach them, that's going to happen, so say it again and send it again. Yeah. Now, I've, I have in many cases backed people down to, okay, mirror back one word at a time. Now I mirror two words. Now I mirror three words to get them relaxed oh, wow. so that they could mm-hmm. get pieces of information. And what was amazing to me back when I was learning this is that the person who had sent the message was okay with that. What they wanted was oh, to interesting. mirror it. And if person had yeah. to do one word at a time, fine. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. and do it elegantly, like everything at once was okay. They just mm-hmm. want, we need to know that we've been heard. That is a human yeah. heard and seen. So yeah, that's why we slow people down uh, to do this. So we, we've been wondering, I've been wondering, how come the ear uh, is 70% deficient? the the structure of the ear and i can't find an answer to that in the research so i made one up and i often find that i can make up stuff and and later on somebody does research and it's correct because this is logic we we call that we we scientists call that a hypothesis it's a hypothesis you've got a hypothesis you've got a very informed hypothesis okay and now we're listening it's giving we're me, listening it's giving me some status now okay so this is my yep. this is giving me my hypothesis and but then you make up a hypothesis because you don't have any data mm-hmm. but you imagine this would be true if we could find the data so Helen says that we get rewarded in our culture for talking. Mm-hmm. Now, so, but we don't get rewarded for listening. So that means two. That means two or three things are going on. Um, one is that over historical time, the human we notice that the voice to make a sound, uh, most people can do that. Uh, vocal cords are developed. And, you know, yeah. when we didn't have a civilization and we were all in the jungles and the forest and the savannas, uh, there was no security systems. We had to be, mm-hmm. we had to keep ourselves safe. So my hypothesis is the vocal cords were developed to make noise so that if somebody mm-hmm. was coming at me, I could yell at them or get them to go away. Um, and so the vocal cords got we only needed, we didn't need to hear much. We just needed to hear was that twig snapping in the forest, a panther, or tiger, or a person, or was it dangerous? We needed dangerous animals, not the complexity mm-hmm. of a conversation. So ah, the, ear, interesting. the ear physically didn't get developed because it wasn't utilized for mm-hmm. reception. And so consequently, it's way behind the vocal cords. So in order to, and what we found is you can increase the listening quotient if you practice, mm-hmm. did I get it? And practice yeah. breathing, slowing down, relaxing, mm-hmm. and saying, can you say mm-hmm. that again? Your ear will increase its capacity to listen. So that mm-hmm. talking and listening, the listening piece can, can grow to the same competence as the talking piece then you have a fully functional communication uh, device. 
Well, I really liked that you went for kind of an anthropological or uh, biological history there, because I've been thinking a lot about one of the big problems that comes up in communication is I think we all feel like we are in our society trying to compete and uh, fight for resources. And sometimes I feel like that fight for resources makes us hear defensively listening for that little twig, like you said, behind us. So if one partner says, um, I need to go to bed early, can you put the baby to bed? Uh, the other person here, she's trying to take something from me, you know, and that feels similar and related in a way to what you were saying about biologically how we may have develop to protect ourselves yeah. rather than to give or assume right. the best. Right, right. And and let me add something. I have um, enjoyed studying the brain. Harville enjoys studying tipping points and, um, and mm -hmm. things. And I've really um, enjoyed learning about the brain and how reactive parts of the brain are uh, versus the neocortex, the new brain. And uh, it's a Mm -hmm. 2.8 pound organ in everyone's skull that's considered the most complicated organ in the universe and neuroscientists have simplified it in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So I want mm -hmm. to hear uh, my favorite neuroscientist is named Dan Siegel and we're oh, actually right. friends with Dan and um, and I was reading a, a book that he uh, was writing about his view of um, his the his view of brains, mm -hmm. and um, and the beginning of a chapter. So the first chapter was great. The second chapter was great. The third chapter, because I've heard him lecture, that was great. Fourth chapter. So, this is really dumb. Um, the beginning of the chapter read tolerating. No, most people don't know that tolerating ambiguity is the smartest way to live a life. A sign of intelligence. Oh. And I thought, doesn't he know that being smart is a sign of <laughs> intelligence? And da -da -da. Mm -hmm. and he said, that, but then after the first, the next couple paragraphs, I began to get it. He said, there's a part of the brain and the earlier Buzz, you know, had described the vagal net and the lower brain that keeps you alive, thank God, and, you know, reacts, uh -huh. protects you, protects you, protects you, but it's not a relational part. But the neocortex, there's the left brain hemisphere and the right brain hemisphere. Left brain is a rational in part of the neocortex, and the right brain is musicians, artists, people who want to create mm -hmm. podcasts to get them into the world and, you know, the mm -hmm. creators. And then, um, and he said between the two, it was a part of the brain I'd never heard of. It's called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And he said, that's the part that you move beyond predication into wonder. And it releases oh. most relaxing neurochemicals that, um, as opposed in the um, lower brain, which we teach, we teach our couples who don't want to read brain science books that everyone has a crocodile in crocodile brain mm -hmm. in your in your mm -hmm. in your brain that keeps you alive. Thank goodness, and it'll snap the other person. Yeah, if it's if it feels like there's danger, but you don't. Yeah, you you need to be in the crocodile brain 
for certain things, but that's not the part of the brain to learn how to have healthy relationships. Because uh, crocodile brains release adrenaline, cortisol, and uh, mm-hmm. and and toxic neurochemicals when mm-hmm. their partner is somebody is different, and then they're mad. Yeah. Just oh, how could you vote for that political party? That is stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be around someone that does that. You know, they just they have they. Right. Why'd you load the dishwasher incorrectly, right? I mean, like from the, you know, sort of most grandiose to the most trivial, why are you not more like me, right? You guys talk about that. Why aren't you more like me? We have heard that, uh, uh, and it's so interesting you said that, that one of the biggest problems with couples is how to load the dishwasher at yeah. home. <laughs> they can be both, both can be really, really, really smart, and both are great parents, and yeah. both are trying to make And life. really dumb. They fight about the dishwasher. But anyway, there's yeah. part of the brain, the dorsolateral prefrontal cor- cortex releases dopamine. When when you're in that part of the brain, it releases dopamine, acetylcholine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. And that is the, oh, those are the That's most- like, now what's that, like the quadrifecta? Holy cow, all the good stuff. All, oh. it's relaxing neurochemicals and people at, at, who live in this part of the brain they don't get sick as much. They have a stronger immunity mm-hmm. to fight off COVID, and they live longer, and they have healthier relationships. But this is why, in addition to saying, Harville, I, you, I believe you just said so-and-so, and, um, and I can see why you said that. You know, we are allowing another person to have their different mm-hmm. view. We had then added to the sentence stems, is there more about that? Uh huh. To give a person, and and we are told that phrase. Is there more about that? That when you say mm-hmm. that, the other person thinks you care. You care. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Really want to hear more, and that that is transformational for relationships. Mm-hmm. And and um. So a story when Harvard and I almost divorced one day, <laughs> mm-hmm. even uh-huh. though. We were really well known that uh, about relationship help. Um, One of my skill sets is improving horrible. And she did look how look how great I am. But (laughs) look at you, you're perfect. (laughs) Sick and tired of me improving him. He got really, really, Mm -hmm. and so um, Mm -hmm. so eventually, uh, what he said. All I really want in my relationship with you, respect my private time, and just wonder mm-hmm. about, uh, you know. Yeah, be curious. <laughs> be, be curious be about curious. me. Curious. Boom. Oh. Yes. And so then in the evenings, we often have full days, and we take a walk at night, and I would always structure the talk, say, Harville, how was your day? I'd love to hear. That. Mm-hmm. Now, we take walks, and I don't ask him any questions. I enjoy looking at the leaves, looking at the squirrel, mm-hmm. looking at the if there are any butterflies. Like, and I tell people I'm the winner when I shut up, mm-hmm. stop talking, and just learn to. Yay, Helen! Yeah, I mean that that's amazing, right? I mean, and and just to just to rewind for all the folks watching and listening, what Helen is saying, she looked at herself rather than you know, Harville, like after trying to, <laughs> after everything 
else failed. You're not fixing them. You said, oh, how can I change? I love that. Right. Like that is that is it. And then I also decided to get little joke books and funny things, uh-huh. especially when we had our kids at home. Uh, we we he would sit with one or two of the kids and and ask jokes uh, across the table. Mm-hmm. I would have to mm-hmm. back and forth. La- you can't laugh and be anxious at the same time. So we yeah. thought, what would bring joy? And fun. Mm-hmm. I've, who mm-hmm. has time to have fun these days? Well, it's healthy. Oh, hallelujah! Yeah, yeah. No, it's we fun. actually talked about this on a previous show. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's also not a nice to have, but a need to have, right? It's got to be a priority. But I want to come back. I want to. Yeah, yeah. I want to underscore a couple things. One is I just love your um, your courage and your self awareness, Helen. And just again for all the folks listening. Uh, how we are so inclined to fix our partners, yeah. right? And how damage, damaging and dangerous that is. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's back to the verticality because it's saying, I mean, you're not saying it in words, but you're saying it in every other way. I know better. I'm superior, right? You're back to that uh, lack of, of um, equality, Right. And I, I feel like it just it takes a lot of self-awareness and, and quite honestly, maturity to go like, shit, that's, you know, excuse my language, but like that's what's happening. And then for you to change it, Helen, that is awesome. Yeah. Um, I thought he would be the winner, but I was the one I love. Yeah, well, you both are. It's mutual. Right. I mean, that's the beauty of it. So I want to add again, because I've been trying to um, to to make clear this is. We can talk about this and it's like, you know, just shape up, but it's a profound <laughs> conversation uh, in the sense yeah. of what the, it really is. what the nature of the brain is and how we, how our ears have been shaped over time. So and we need to, we mm-hmm. need to really respect the fact that this is challenging, not because you are defective, but because there mm-hmm. are certain limits that are <clears throat> built into our neurophysiological uh, cognitive systems. I, pardon me for using a big word, but that's that's all of that. Mm-hmm. I want to add to that another simplification. Mm-hmm. Our, our brains are, are, are de- also designed to be self-referential, meaning to mm-hmm. look at myself and unconsciously assume that what I see is objectively real. Right. Therefore, right. Don't you see that? Uh, yeah. You don't see that, then you don't see reality. I see reality. And so yeah. in order to assume that you're okay, you have to see what I'm seeing. Now, the thing mm-hmm. I'll say is that is totally impossible. I mm-hmm. cannot see anything that you see. The way you see it. Yeah. My brain is self-referential. So that's why I have to listen to discover how you're seeing it. And then I have to say, okay, so there are two ways to see this. It's like, so sometimes gave me an example to make this really simple. I will bite this orange, then tell you how it tastes. You will bite the same orange and you will tell me how it tastes. And there will be two different descriptions of the same orange. Uh-huh. 
that that uh-huh. is natural and that's reality. So we have condensed that phenomenon into the biggest human problem for couples and everybody on the planet is difference. Yeah. Objection to difference is the biggest human problem. If yeah. When you see things my way, we don't have a problem. <laughs> right, exactly. Totally. When you see things your way and report it to me as the way, we have a problem. And that's the normal conversation of everyday life. Is it too cold in here right now? Well, that depends uh-huh. on how your body reacts to cold. But it can right. react the same way. So what we have to do is come to terms with this reality. There's nothing but difference in the universe. From the from the smallest particle at the subatomic level to the largest galaxy, there's no sameness. There's no way for sameness to occur. It does not exist. Mm-hmm. Like one, one of the right. things that was so dramatic is go look at a tree. It has probably got 40,000 mm-hmm. leaves on it. They all look mm-hmm. similar, but not a single mm-hmm. leaf identical to another leaf. Yeah. That describes yeah. the universe. So if you can start out knowing that there is a difference and then become curious, like, oh, well, how does the leaf look to you? Then you open, yeah. you open then yourself to a new universe. But if I don't open to how does you, how does the leaf look to you, I just have my universe. And mine is parochial, mm-hmm. limited to my experience. So I think that if when when couples get it, that objection to difference has caused all their problems. And if they can move to listening and acceptance of difference, 90% of their problems will go away. They'll move to collaboration instead of competition. Then they live in the joy of being. And while it's easy to say all these things, that is a very hard thing to do. And we yeah. need to be impatient with ourselves about that, patient with others. And and when when somebody says, uh, I, I didn't get that, say, well, let me send that again. Let me say it again. Let me say yeah. it a different way instead of, well, you're a bad listener. So no, you're <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, you just have a defective eardrum, but so does everybody else yeah. on the planet. And you have that. And the other thing to throw into this, I have my memory of my experience with Helen. So my, mm-hmm. my narrative, my, my ineffective eardrum and my memory of our previous conversations are all interfering with the accuracy of listening. Mm-hmm. So we have to really, and the way is to slow down. There's really a simple solution to it. Slow down and say, let mm-hmm. me see if I got that. And then mirror it until the partner says, hey, you got it. Then you change. Mm-hmm. Then the other person can say something. And now you have a safe relationship where wonderful things yeah. can happen. Because if you have a dangerous relationship, the only one thing can happen. You'll defend yourself uh, with from yeah. your partner. Then your partner will do that with you. So I just wanted to get that in before we run out of time. Yeah, it's interesting that we have like the accepted difference in perception, right? Like, like you said before, like, oh, is it too cold in this room? Like, I'm fine, but are you too cold? You know, or is this food too spicy? Like, we have all these accepted differences in perception, yet 
literally seeing or feeling is the same instance, right? Like it is all unique to any one of us. It's unique. Um, and, yeah. and, and it's so funny that like, it, it sounds so simple as like, oh, it's literally just a difference. But like, like you said, when we experience it ourselves, we view it as the truth instead of it being our perception, yeah. um, which is very fascinating. Um, real quickly, like I know you guys are, are running a little bit low on time. Um, I was on your, your website um, and I saw this quote from uh, Alanis Morissette about your book. Uh, and that's that's amazing. How did you guys get in touch? How did, did she reach out or, or like how did that happen? Well, Alanis got interested in Imago and is trained as a facilitator, which is a non-clinician who teaches a dialogue uh, in her profession. So she has a, a certification in, in Imago dialogue as a facilitator, not as the therapist. So we got to meet. That's so cool. Wow. Through the, and so she trained with um, uh, a guy in California, Bruce Krakuschetz and his wife, um, Francine. Francine. And so uh, mm -hmm. uh, given that it wasn't a clinical relationship, it was okay for him to tell us about her. If she if she'd uh -huh. been blind, he couldn't have talked about her. But since she was a <laughs> student in an education class, he could. And the other thing is that uh, in in uh, 2010, Ellen and I started a think tank at um, that at, to which we invited uh, a variety of people: John Gottman, Dan Siegel, um, and mm -hmm. Joe Weiner Davis, and Ellen Bader, and her husband Peter to our ranch mm -hmm. to start the think tank about could we uh, all come, we're all relationship experts. Could we, but we're in the clinical world and the, the public mm -hmm. doesn't have the benefit of what happens in the clinic. Could we come together mm -hmm. if, if we could take our relational skills out of the clinic into the public? And that's what led ultimately mm -hmm. to that conversation. I don't know how she got uh uh, aware of that we may have invited her i don't know but she showed up at that think tank right uh, twice a year no. for about three years so we got to know her wow. really well and in fact she named the think tank it was called relationships first we sat around us academicians we were talking about the relationship institute the relationship center there you know we had all kinds of academic non-exciting titles and she said why don't we call it relationships first and thought, wow, that's what we're about. Relationships first. So she's uh, we she's a friend. And um, that's, yeah, amazing. that's amazing. She will answer and she will actually answer our phone call. And if there <laughs> if there is time, I actually have two short stories. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. we have time. We have all the time. You guys are the uh if you're on the clock, we want to be respectful. But yeah, please yeah, go ahead. We go soon. But so okay. you have two stories. <clears throat> yeah. Um just because a notable name um mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> I thought maybe you as I mean, I was talking about my first husband, you know, and what did he do? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I am going to say another name that used to be notable in society. The gentleman's name mm -hmm. is H.L. Hunt. And he oh, was wow, yeah. the cotton farm and in mm -hmm. Illinois, and they didn't have money. But um, mm -hmm. he um, 
uh, I am H.L. Hunt's daughter. And he, mm -hmm. so I know his story well, and he mm -hmm. decided to explore the world. He was the youngest in his family, and he was being homeschooled, and one day he wasn't at home. It was about like not, not 10th grade or something, and he didn't even care about getting uh, high school, uh, whatever, uh, finishing mm -hmm. high school, and he jumped on a, on the side of a train and became a hobo and explored the world oh, wow. and ended up in Texas and he was at a poker game and won a oil field that they thought maybe there was an oil well there, but they didn't know. But he won that uh -huh. called the Daisy Bradford well. Well, when, so he won it and when he, they, they drilled, um, it was a gusher. And then mm -hmm. they drilled more wells and it became the East Texas oil field became the biggest oil field in the world. So my uh, father, wow. H.L. Hunt, to create the created Hunt mm -hmm. Oil Company. So my that mm -hmm. he wanted to marry me. He just wanted to work at the oil company, not mission. Not oh. mm -hmm. well. Then I heard this man talking. This foxy gent, and <laughs> he was the youngest. Uh, he, uh -huh. His family was sharecroppers in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. they didn't have much money. All all they did was sort of pick cotton and a little bit mm -hmm. and do what the owners of the cotton they, they didn't own the mm -hmm. land, but they picked they developed the land. And he was the young mm -hmm. of just like my dad. Um mm -hmm. but uh he was he was they went to a church and then he was a teenager and there was they thought that there was a, a, a youth Youth Sunday, and they asked Harville if he would teach as a teenager mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Harville, they learned Harville loves to talk. Who so eventually, <laughs> when um he events uh, eventually got a degree, and none of his family uh had done. You know, they were sharecroppers people, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Ed practically, and then um. Mm -hmm. But because he he then won a speech contest, and he got, um, he was able to get the money to go to college, and he mm -hmm. eventually uh, got degrees, and um, and then he was hired because of his excellent reputation. When he graduated, mm -hmm. uh, he he was hired by a school in. Dal a, a school in Dallas in the theology department, uh -huh. and he taught um, religion and psychology, and I was getting my mm -hmm. master's in counseling psych. So this is how Harville I met each other, and it's just I have thought that my dad created a fuel that saved uh, apparently World War II. He's credited Hunt Oil is credited with mm -hmm. Hitler didn't win. World War II. He's credited because he supplied the fuel that made it possible to win World War II. Wow, that's incredible. And he was on the cover. That's quite a legacy. He was, yeah. And so this, and he was on the cover of Time magazine yeah. around that time. Oh, wow. This man, because of him, you know, uh, provided the oil that uh, won World War II. So I, I he was wow. my dad. 
And I heard this guy talking about another kind of fuel that can transform mm-hmm. civilization. And that Putin, I got it. Putin needs to learn about the United oh, yeah, no kidding. needs to teach dialogue. Like it's it's so simple right. to learn. This guy, again, a genius at simplifying the complex. So I'm really, really, really smart at proposing to yeah, him. But Helen, I want to add something to your story about your father. Okay. And this could probably be our closure because it just occurred to mm-hmm. me on the wall in the, one of the rooms at Hunnell Company today is a framed, a saying of H.L. Hunt, and it's still there. And it said, since God gave us two ears and one mouth, we should listen more and talk less. <laughs> now, do that is, I, I mean, amen. Well, do, do, so, do so, he, have- so he proposed dialogue long ago. We just didn't know it. Yeah. And do we have time for a short story of a couple? Uh, one of the things, sure. you, when you come on, give an example of a couple who has used it. Yeah. I could do this real Yeah, if you guys have time, we would love it. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. We did one of our weekend workshops where Friday night the couples come and they want, they've heard about the book, Gain Love You Want, and they know we're going to give a lecture for the weekend, Friday mm-hmm. night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, two hours, two or three hours, and Saturday evening. And then they 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 sleep at the retreat center Sunday morning, three more hours, then it's over. And they have lunch mm-hmm. and go home. And we often um, ask for feedback at the end. We know, we say, tell all of them, that now we know Friday night you've come here with some problems or that maybe what mm-hmm. didn't go to another subject on the retreat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where you could have attended another topic of a book. Uh-huh. Friday night you may have um, have some problems. So we're first going to sh- share some information about dialoguing and we'll make it very, very simple. And then you go to bed. And so we just teach them mm-hmm. to take turns, oh, giving each other an appreciation. Within Saturday, mm-hmm. tell them how to handle problems in the morning, in the afternoon, and the evening. And then Sunday morning, the last part of their problems, and then we say goodbye. And But at the ending, Harville said, now, would anyone like to tell the story of what it was like to be here? Of mm-hmm. three day gathering, and mm-hmm. people gave examples, and then at the end, one man raised his hand, and he said, "I'd like to share," and we said, "Okay." So he took his wife, and she followed him. He was a very handsome guy, and so was she, and he held up some papers to the how many couples? Mm-hmm. Probably eighty, mm-hmm. eighty or ninety or hundred. Probably. He held up papers, didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. He said, these are our divorce papers. Oh. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. Threw them up. He That's th- dramatic. Threw them. He said, I want this room to know I came here with my biggest enemy and I'm leaving <gasps> best friend. 
Uh-huh. So this is my point. I'm telling the story to say how quickly, if you were given the information where you could take it in, uh, so like mm-hmm. my dad, it's a new fuel to save the world. Mm-hmm. But- With that in mind, and I start thinking about how we are at war and in conflict all the time, and I just feel like you, this should be going to the UN, and we should be doing this across the world, right? Guess what? Your podcast might help get the word out. So thank you. <laughs> that's why we're here. Well, well, no, genuinely, that that's why we're here. Yeah, and thank you for that. That is our goal, uh, Joanna. Mm-hmm. We have a global social mission with Safe Conversations to reach the tipping point of the world's population in 2050, mm-hmm. which will be 9.8 billion people. But we only have mm-hmm. to reach the tipping point, which is 3.2 billion. So we're mm-hmm. headed toward doing that. And we've, you know, mm-hmm. reach a tipping point, the system collapses, and this verticality will disappear into laterality. Mm-hmm. And then the new and next stage of human evolution will be a relational civilization rather than an individualistic civilization. So that's what we set out to do, and we need 30 more years of health and living to pull that off. Although people are telling us in the new age of new ways of distributing information that we may be out of date in distribution, that we may be able to do this in 10 years now. People are saying people are in the field of new Mm -hmm. forms of distributing information or saying you can, there's stuff now you can deliver the whole stuff to the whole planet at once, you know, message. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, somebody told us the other day about reaching 2.3 billion people with a marketing ad and uh-huh. cool. And he's, and he's saying, this is the guy we're going to talk to who's also connected to the UN who says, you don't maybe have to wait for 30 years. Maybe I mean, it's going to take, People have to get it and then practice it and integrate it. So it may take five or 10 years instead of 30. But that is the goal. It's like, why aren't people taught listening mm-hmm. dialogue in school? Yeah. It would be the most important thing for them to learn because they would then yeah. learn, they would learn how to be in relationship. And we now know scientifically that the quality mm-hmm. of your relationship determines the quality of your emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. And your life. Well, and what's interesting life. is there's so much around social and emotional development. We lived in New York. We live in Colorado now. But I never hear the schools talking specifically about relational wellness. No. Right? And this kind of very specific right. methodology that you guys have developed you know, so I, I I applaud your ambitions and just the um, um, the incredible work that you've done, the the proof that you have. Right, we're obviously here uh, as your as your friends and partners to help accelerate it. We don't have thirty years. Yeah, I've got kids. I want it to be a better place for them today. Today, right? Me? And I just I I'm I'm grateful for the chance. You guys have done the research. You've been doing this for decades. And so, um, all right. So we always like to do the wrap up and the takeaways because this, this is not a podcast to sit back and listen to and just enjoy. Yes, please do those things. But we, we want to affect change, right? So everybody listening here, please tell your friends all that good stuff. But I always feel like change starts with each of us. Change starts with each of us. 
Absolutely. So I, I'm going to try to, I mean, there's been a lot of good stuff, but I'm going to try to sublimate this down to the three or four takeaways that I hope are most actionable um, or, you know, the things that people can really uh, kind of glom onto. Um, first, listening uh, or listening is the first act of love, like very, 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 very foundational. Um, and then that the objection to differences is one of the foremost, if not the foremost problems impacting relationships. That we think we have an objective truth, but there isn't an objective truth when you're in a relationship, whether it's with your child, your spouse, whoever it is. So the, the antidote to that is to slow down, right? When you're, in, when you're in conflict or feeling like you're not being seen or heard or you know there's something contentious, slow down get curious. And now when you're doing dialogue, the important thing is to have a, a receiver, a sender and a receiver, and for the sender to share what they want to share. And the receiver receives it and asks, did I get it right? They reframe it, they repeat it. The sender says yes or no, kind of not, not quite. They go back and forth. One say, yes, you got it. Then the receiver says beautifully with an open heart and, and sincerity, is there more? Yes. <laughs> and, the and the sender says, no, I think you got it. And, and that's great. Or yeah, you know what? Actually, <laughs> actually there is. <laughs> and the whole point in, in this process is genuinely to listen, to genuinely, for both parties, to genuinely be curious. And the final thing I'm going to say is, for everybody listening, and I'm going to put my hand up, you know, first because I'm listening here too. I'm a student of all this. It, it's just a, it is just a cool theory unless you do it, right? So I'm going to ask everybody that's listening and watching, whether it's with their child or their spouse or their sister or whoever it is, wherever there's that little bit of conflict, to to put this into practice and watch the transformation happen. Because what Harville and Helen have been doing for four decades is genuinely transforming lives. And what I love about their ambition is now it's not just in the, you know, hundreds of thousands. Now we're talking millions and billions of people. Like, let's be part of that, that, that movement to have those safe conversations in our communities and contribute to what is going to be trans. I, I'm with you. I have every confidence in the world that this transformation is going to happen. It must happen. Right. Because I do feel like society's at a breaking point with how much um, divisiveness and, and hurt and anger. And that can be turned around. And frankly, what's ironic is in some ways it's hard. And then in other ways, it's just not that hard. Like there has to be a willingness, but we've got to do the work. Yeah. We got I know to that was a very long wrap up. <laughs> well, 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 and people just to, people need to know there is another way to live. And, and, mm -hmm. and I, I love the phrase take turns talking and listening you know and that mm -hmm. sender and receiver is just take turns because just because you let someone else speak and instead of responding you mirror them back da 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 then make a time when it's your turn to talk and they listen mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i think i'd like to exit with one uh, rather uh, what I think powerful sentence, which is, whatever you do to others will be done to you. So, mm -hmm. want love in your life, 
love others. Mm -hmm. And then there's something in the universe that reciprocates that love to you. If you hurt other people, you will be hurt. If you love other mm -hmm. people, you will be loved. So the most mm -hmm. selfish thing in the world you can do is to love other people without conditions. Mm -hmm. It's the mighty law of karma. Amen, Harville. That is a great final word. I mean, and it all starts with us, right? That's what Harville's saying. We want to be listened to. We got to listen. Right. We want love. We got to love, right? It all starts with us, folks. That's the good news. And that's yeah. what we're doing here at Open Relationships. We are transforming together. All right. Thank you so much, Harville and Helen. You guys are the BEST. Oh my gosh. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Congrats on all your success. And looking forward to the next update as you guys continue on, you know, this big ambition. Well, we are so honored that you have us on your podcast and we wish you well. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you down the path. Yeah, indeed. All right. Thank you. That was amazing. I love Harville and Helen. I just, I find them so impressive and wonderful. And I just love how uh, they're, I mean, they're so, um, you know, awe-shocks in, in so many ways. And yet they're these superstars. So it's, it, it's cool. It's cool to hang with them. It is easy to forget that, like, so much of what we take for granted about what makes people work, like, in relationships comes from their work. Yeah. Well, totally. Yeah. Totally. Like really seminal work that has been adopted widely for four decades. And, and as they were describing or discussing how many of the most influential thought leaders from John Gottman to Dan Siegel to like literal rock stars are taking cues from them. Like it's cool. Amazing. Yeah. And I also love so, the uh, Jonas, what was your favorite take? Like one, one quickie takeaway. What was, what was the thing that you're going to go home and you and Laura are going to work on tonight. Uh, well, I, I think it's the, yeah, the idea that that talk is dangerous, right? Talking is dangerous. Talking is easy. It's the easy part, the easy way out. And the superpower mm -hmm. is to develop the listening, but also to understand that what listening does for your partner, listening or or your coworker, whomever you're dealing with, uh, is that you're creating a space for that that safe interaction that supportive interaction that is critical critical if you really to build a relationship mm -hmm. so to me that it's that yep amen amen more listening less talking people and <laughs> i gotta take that advice <laughs> brian how about you i mean for me i i said it to them then but like i'm still you know blown away by the fact that like we're so accepting of different perspectives and perceptions when it's obvious like you know again like eating spicy food or anything like that where the easy but, stuff but, yeah but we literally do the same thing um they brought it up with the the ear um example but like mm -hmm. we even do that with our eyes like we know for a fact that the way that light hits our eyes like it reflects off of you know an object and then that hits our eyes and then the yeah. overall picture that we get is too complicated and so it gets like dumbed down for our brain so like mm -hmm. inherently the way we process all of that information is going to change person to person so like it makes sense that what they were saying you know like the objective truth like doesn't exist really there is like, no objective truth people 
totally. Yeah, there is no objective truth. I love that. And I just feel like, God, if we could implant that chip into people's brains, especially when they're feeling frustrated or argumentative. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. I remember, I don't know, there's an old phrase that's like, there's your version, my version, and the truth. Like, I don't know who first said that to me, but it is such a huge uh-huh. like, colloquialism that matters so much in relationships. I was blown away when Harville was saying that in order to truly love Helen, he can't just see the version of her that he believes exists. He also has to love and see the version of her that she believes she is. He needs to know who Mm -hmm. she feels she is to love who she is. Mm -hmm. And then it really like knocked me over when he was like, otherwise I just love me. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like my mind... That was so profound. Yeah, super profound. And but isn't that the the problem that that so many relationships face, right? Is we're all pretty narcissistic, and it's like me, me, me. But back to the subjective truth challenge, like we think it's the objective truth, and it's just not, right? And so it's like our own experiences and hurt and heartache and perspectives cloud. Right. And so we're back. It's like a do loop. But I I love that. And then I was just going to add on to that. I love the little anecdote that she shared. And I obviously got a little fired up as she shared it, how she used to try to um, like correct and improve Harville. And it just makes me think how many of us do that. Like I think about I do that with my kids. And, you know, I'm, I know I've done it with Sanjay. And it, and even if I'm not acting on it, like, I'm just thinking in my head back to, uh, effectively, if he could just be more like me, right? If he could just not, right? And I feel like what she realized is that she was being very corrective with him, which sucks, right? So I, you know, I've, I've actually really, I've tried to be much more conscious of this, but... Um, when I go home tonight, oh, that's right, I am home. <laughs> I am, I am really gonna like really take from everything you guys are saying, and back to like, ooh, let me just see Sanjay for who he is, and really like, game on, dude, I love you, and you know, hugs and kisses, right? Because I feel like so often we also kind of take each other for granted. So those are my totally. two points. All right. Well, this was an amazing show. Thank you guys for all your input and questions and feedback. Um, For our listening audience, thanks so much for listening and viewing audience. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate you guys very, very much. We would love your questions. You can write to us at openrelationships at yourtango.com. We would love if you would subscribe to the show wherever you're watching or listening. Uh, Like and share. Tell your friends about us. I'm going to be doing some live coaching, live recorded coaching. Uh, So if you feel like there's something you're willing to share with your relationships and feel like a convo with me would be helpful, I promise I I get results. I've gotten (laughs) like, I've had so many great, enlightening, amazing, humbling conversations. And and the truth is there are, so many of them are this similar not the same necessarily but similar like we you know we are all going through so many of these similar um issues and you know and and ultimately we're it's it always comes back to us we're we're in the way right so um so let us know if you're willing to be on the show uh brian did i forget anything 
No, I mean, exactly what you said. Also, um, if if the, the tea you're spilling is a little too spicy, we also do have the ability to uh, mask your face and voice. You don't have to be on and uh, spill your guts necessarily uh, and like put your name on blast. But um, no, we'd love to have you on again. Like you said, like, subscribe, share the video with your friends. Um, and yeah, uh, that's that's it. And this yeah, was- tune in. Yeah, keep tuning in. We've got some amazing guests coming up and we're just uh, we're super passionate about the mission of fostering the human connection and opening up relationships. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Yep, yep, yep.